Good morning. Well, we continue this morning our series on the parables and this morning we have another parable that I've got no doubt that most of you will have heard before and most of you probably understand it very well. Um, although I don't think any of you are farmers, I'm sure that most of you have had some experience in sowing seeds. I know when uh, Bruce and I moved into the house that we are in at the moment, uh, there were three little patches of grass. We don't really have lawn, but we had three patches of grass. And uh, we persevered for about two years trying to get the grass to actually grow nicely on all of those patches. There was the front patch down the front. Our, we don't have pavement on our side of the street, so people's gardens go right to the road. Um, and so everybody parks on that front bit of everybody's garden, and so nothing grew there because it was rock hard. And then we had this part just outside the back door that was sort of in a patio area and it was supposed to be like a feature, lush green piece of grass. Um, but when we moved in, it was kind of like a dust bowl um, with a few little shoots here and there. And we tried and we tried to encourage it along and eventually we paved that area. And the area down the front, we put rocks on so people could actually park on it. Um, and then there was one other little bit that was supposed to be a feature bit as well, which was like an arch shape around separating two garden beds. And it wasn't even wide enough in some spots to get the mower across. The mower would sort of go up on the garden bed. Um, and we put stakes around that area. We had, I cut up plastic bags and we had things flapping in the wind to try and keep the birds away. It didn't matter what we did the birds ate the seed whenever we put it down and nothing would grow there. So one area we put crushed rock on, one area we paved, and the third area we got fake grass and put that on. <laughs> and then we got rid of the lawnmower um, and things were pretty happy after that because it was a real pain getting the lawnmower out to do a little square this by this. Um, even if you haven't had that frustrating experience of trying to get a nice lush look on your lawn, this is not a hard parable to understand because this is one of only two parables out of about 40 that we find in the Bible that Jesus gives a detailed point-by-point -point ex explanation for. So it's not difficult um, to figure out what he's trying to say in this parable, but it, maybe it is in, in the application of it that we stumble a little bit. So I want you to imagine the scene that's set up here in our Bibles. Um, so we're looking in uh, Luke chapter 8, and we're actually going to be working from verse 1 to 15, but I'm going to skip the first three verses. We'll come back to them a bit, bit further on towards the end. We're going to begin where the parable itself begins, which is verse 4. And if you imagine the scene, Jesus and his companions have been travelling from town to town and they've been proclaiming the good news about the kingdom of God. And a large crowd has gathered to hear this news and they've come from many towns, not just the town that they were currently in, uh, to hear the good news or to at least hear what this new teacher has to say. Now, Matthew's Gospel has, uh, has Jesus at this point stepping into a boat because the crowd is so great and he steps into a boat so that he can be heard. Um, Luke's Gospel doesn't give us that detail, so we're not quite sure is this um, the exact same telling of the story as what Mark records or is this a different telling of the same story. So, but 
For pictorial purposes, I've got Jesus here in a boat telling this story. What both of those versions tell us is that the crowd was large and that Jesus began to teach them using a parable. So if you imagine yourself standing there in this sea of faces all looking towards Jesus and alongside you are all sorts of different people, some of them from the town in which you live uh, and others from surrounding towns who've walked in to hear Jesus. Some of them are farmers, some of them are labourers, some of them are craftspeople, some of them are tradespeople and some of them are merchants. And they're all standing together in anticipation, waiting to hear what the teacher will say. And the Pharisees are there too, as they often are. They are standing there on the edges, perhaps, keeping an eye on everything that's going on. And the teacher looks out over the crowd and he knows their hearts. And so perhaps giving a nod to the work that was happening on the surrounding hillsides around them, he begins to teach them using this parable. He says, a sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and it was trampled underfoot and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on rock. And as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into the good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. And as he said these things, he called out, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while and then in a time of testing, fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for those that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart, and bear fruit with patience. Now in most of our Bibles, the heading that's been inserted by the, the edis, editors and publishers is usually the parable of the sower. 
But this parable is really more about the soils. Could call this the parable of the soils. Now, Jesus tells us in his interpretation that the seed is the word of God. So by implication then, for those first hearers of that parable, Jesus himself was the sower sowing the seed. And today, that work of sowing continues in our lives and in the lives of uh, our generation. And it is done by the Holy Spirit who sows God's word into our hearts. Now, sometimes that work of the Holy Spirit is aided by other humans. And sometimes it's not. Notice that the seed is spread wherever there's soil. The sower doesn't say, oh, that bit's a bit rocky or that bit's a bit hard. We will avoid that bit. The seed goes wherever there is soil. And all of the seed is good seed. It's all viable. It's all packed with the same life-giving potential. It's all capable of growth. And each seed is well able to produce a plant that will yield plenty, a hundredfold, says Jesus. So there's nothing wrong with any of the seed. But all of the soils are different. And the outcome from the seed will depend upon the condition of the soil. Now, if Jesus is the sower and the seed is God's word then the soil, that which receives the word of God, represents the human heart. And in the Hebrew understanding, the human heart was the most important part of a person. The heart was not like we think of it. You know, we might say, oh, my heart's a flutter, you know, meaning that we're in love or... Um, my heart skipped a beat, meaning maybe that we were afraid of something. To us, the heart is all about emotion. But in the Hebrew understanding, the heart was, yes, about emotion, but it was also about intellect and it was about will. The heart was really the centre of a person's being. And so when Jesus describes four different kinds of soil, He's describing four different kinds of people. The first kind of person has a closed heart. And this is represented by the, the hardened path. Now, at the time when Jesus was telling this story, fields were cultivated in long strips. And either side of the long strip, there would be a, a path where the people who were working the fields would walk up and down the path so that they didn't trample what was in the fields, um, just the path. And we see this same concept on a much larger scale even today in vegetable production. So you'll see there all the little blue arrows represent these shared paths or walkways. Now today, of course, they are hard and compacted by tractors and heavy machinery. But in Jesus' day, it was little feet or big feet that trampled these pathways as they walked up and down to do labour in the fields. So as the sower walks along the path, 
broadcasting the seed into the field, inevitably some of it was going to fall on that hardened track where it would sit dry and uncovered, unable to take root because the soil was too hard to receive it. Hardened soil is effectively closed to the seedling because its root can't get through that top layer. And so the seed either shrivels and dies right where it is after it tries to germinate, or it's snatched away by the hungry birds, which is what Jesus said in his parable. And in the same way, hardened hearts are effectively closed to the truth of God's word because it is not possible for that truth to penetrate deep down into the life of the person who has a hardened heart. And so it's therefore not possible for that person to grow spiritually. The person with a hardened heart doesn't want to listen to the truth because they don't want to know. Their defences are up. And they keep going up and up until eventually God cannot be heard at all. Not through reading the Bible, not through prayer, and not through anything that others might have to say to them. So how does this happen? Well, sometimes it can happen quite quickly person who's experienced um, significant trauma might be crushed by the weight of that trauma. And so instead of listening and leaning on God to help them carry, to carry them through difficult circumstances, they blame God for those circumstances and they develop a thick and hardened crust. Other times it can happen gradually, even almost imperceptibly. Harsh words are spoken. Relationships are allowed to fester, particularly between believers. And slowly, slowly, that protective crust forms. Or sometimes we allow our cultural or scientific or political beliefs to assume a lot more importance than what they should in our lives. And pretty soon we become so fixed in our own ideas that there's no possibility for the truth of the word of God to penetrate. Instead, we try and twist the truth of the word of God to, to suit those ideas that we already have. If you've ever had to go to a, a medical professional to have your ears cleaned out, then that will give you some idea of what this process is a little bit like. How this hardness can happen without even knowing it. Now I'm not a person who's ever had to go through such a procedure, but I know people who have. And I know that slowly, slowly that wax builds up in their ears and they become more and more deaf until they're turning the TV volume up as loud as they possibly can and they're not responding when people are calling to them and eventually they go to the doctor. And the doctor tells them that they have a hardened plug of wax in their ears and so hard is it that it can't even be removed until they've had about two weeks of treatment to soften it. The closed or the hardened heart works in much the same way. 
but the type of deafness that it causes is a spiritual deafness, an inability to hear God. The second type of heart that Jesus illustrates here with his soil metaphor is the shallow heart. The shallow heart is like the rocky soil. The seeds land there in a, in a crevice, perhaps between the rocks where the dust and a little bit of topsoil is collected in the wind, it's blown in, and protected there from the elements, it germinates. And there's a little bit of a flush of growth as the roots draw some moisture from that little layer of soil, but the roots of that seedling can't go down very deep because of the rocks. So all they can access is a little bit of soil that's collected there in the, in the crevice. So the roots that are produced are just surface roots. And so as soon as that seedling is tested by the elements, it withers and it will wilt and be stunted in its growth. Now, in agriculture, sometimes the rocks are very obvious on the surface and sometimes they're deep down. I can remember many occasions out on farms where you'd hear this great big twang, clang, and uh, a, a big rock, sometimes about this big, had been uncovered from below the surface and everything had to stop to get out of that tractor and get that rock and get it to the side of the field so that next season it wasn't gonna break tines or, or damage uh, the equipment. Sometimes those rocks are on the surface. Sometimes they can be below the surface in a, in a hard layer of rocks, just below the surface. Doesn't matter where they are, the result is the same. You've only got a shallow layer of soil to feed the plants and the effect that you'll get is um, stunted patches within the crop. A person with a shallow heart will initially receive God's word, sometimes even with great joy, but it can't penetrate into all aspects of their life because some parts of them are hard like rock. Perhaps their persona at work is quite different to their persona that they present at church. The truth of God's word is not allowed into that part of their lives. Maybe their faith is all mind and no emotion. So such a person won't allow themselves to relate to God in a personal way. Or it could be all emotion and no mind. Faith to them is just about feeling good. And so when they don't feel good anymore because of maybe what life has done to them, then there's nothing left and they start to wither. Much like the plants, such a person will not grow spiritually because the truth of God's word doesn't penetrate and therefore it can't nourish them. So whilst a closed heart causes spiritual deafness, a shallow heart is not that far behind. It also impedes our ability to hear. It impedes our ability to understand and also to apply God's word in our lives. The third type of heart that Jesus describes is the cluttered kind of heart. And he illustrates that with the weedy soil full of thorns. 
Now at the time that the sower sowed his seed, no doubt the soil looked good. He wouldn't have sowed it into a full crop of thistles. No doubt it was well worked up and, and bare, ready to receive the seed. But unbeknownst to him, that soil was full of weed seeds, thistles and thorns. And all of these seeds would grow up together. And as they did, those that were stronger would outcompete the weaker ones until eventually survival of the fittest, you get whatever survives in the soil. You know, I've got a, a patch of ground, actually it was the patch of grass that I talked about down the front of my house. Half of it I, we put crushed rock on, the other half I decided to make a nice, um, I wanted it to be bright, bright flowers, so I put lots of different colour pig face in. It's taken me about the last three years to finally get it covered in a whole mat so that all the colours come up at one after the other, different times. But how long I have spent on my hands and knees climbing in between those plants because the weed seeds, they just never seem to have any problem coming up and surviving. But the actual plants that you want to grow, well, they need mollycoddling and watering and encouraging the whole time. And I, I, I think that's a common experience for most gardeners, that weeds just never have a problem growing. Even if there's no water, they still grow. But the plants that you want to grow um, take a little bit more work. The weedy soil had finite resources. And so the thistles and the thorns and the other weeds that were there were competing for those finite resources. The weeds don't kill the crop, the crop still grows, but it's competing with other things. And so the end result is stunted and patchy and unproductive. And we also only have limited resources. Our resources, of course, are time and our energy. And, you know, if we use one of these pieces of paper to represent the time and energy that we have, if we, if we say, well, you know, some of it, our, our highest priority is, is, is God. But we also have other priorities. We have our, our family. That, that's a pretty high priority in most people's lives. But then our lives are full of many other things. We, many of us, have jobs and our careers are important to us. So our time gets divided again. We've got financial concerns, we've got mortgages to pay off, we've got bills to pay. And so our time and our priorities and our energies are, are further divided. And then many of us are concerned about our health. You know, we want to go to the gym, we want to lose weight, we want to get stronger. And so that takes up some of our time. And then we want to look after ourselves and go on holidays and enjoy life. And so that takes up more of our time. And we've got sport and hobbies and other things that we're interested in. And I'm not sure I can rip this anymore. Okay. But you get the idea pretty soon. Where's the bit that belonged 
to God. Well, it's been just reduced to one of a great number of many other things and it's only this big. You know, we, we probably need a different kind of model. Maybe a model that's sort of more like this where we have God as our number one priority and all of these other little things fitting inside of that so that he is in all of our lives. When we keep dividing our time and our energy amongst an ever-increasing list of activities and an ever-increasing list of worries and concerns, eventually there's not going to be much at all left. And that's the thing about weeds. Once they get established and get a hold, they're kind of addictive because they just keep producing and producing and producing. On that little patch that I told you about where I have the, um, the flowers, as soon as I see a dandelion head, I get it off before it starts to flower because you're going to get thousands of seeds produced from one plant. You see there, that's a thistle, that one there. Any gardener will tell you that it is a constant task keeping on top of weeds and we see that around our property here. It is a constant task for those who work in the garden. You have to be diligent. You have to work at it. And we need to apply that same diligence and time and effort to the state of our own hearts. The cluttered heart willingly accepts God's seed, but it accepts it as just one of many other things. And so it too produces a different type of hearing impediment. The voice is not blocked out, but it's hard to distinguish amongst all of the other things that are going on in life. Final type of heart that Jesus describes is the open heart. And it's illustrated by the good soil. This type of soil is soft and it's receptive and it receives the seed of God's word and the seed flourishes there in the deep, rich, soft soil that is unimpeded by weeds and rocks. The compassion that God has towards people will be evident in the life of one whose heart is open to the truth of God's word. As his word takes root in their lives, it changes them and it changes every part of them. They become more sensitive to the needs of others. They increasingly seek to put others first. They will care for the poor. Not just care about the poor, but care for the poor. Their lives will be characterised by good, healthy relationships, productive relationships, and they will bear much fruit for the kingdom. A hundred times, says Jesus, what was planted. The person with an open heart has perfectly good spiritual hearing. They hear God's word, they respond to it, and it penetrates every aspect of their being. Now, I have little doubt this morning that many of you have heard this parable many, many times before. 
You've heard it preached many times before, or you've studied it in your care groups many times before. You've read about it in other books many times before. I'm certain that you've heard it discussed, just as I have many, many times before. And in all of those hearings, there are six words that have stuck with me. And I have them scrawled in the margin of my Bible at home to remind me and keep me on track every time I read this parable. And they are these words from the pen of Francis Chan. They are simple words of caution that you find in his book, um, Crazy Love. It's the book here, we've got it in our library. He says of this parable, don't assume that you are good soil. Christians always assume that they are the good soil in this parable. It's, it's natural for us to think that we are the good soil. Remember that Jesus said, good soil produces a crop a hundredfold. So if you're producing a hundredfold, good on you. But for the rest of us who aren't producing a hundredfold, I think we need some self-examination here. There is ongoing work to be done, ongoing work of tillage and rock removal and weed control. Good soil doesn't come easy. Ask a farmer, ask a gardener, they will tell you good soil does not come easy. It needs constant nurturing, the addition of organic matter, uh, weed removal, all of that sort of thing, tillage, you've got to work it up, aerate it. Um, we need to do likewise in our lives. We need to be removing those things that are hardening our hearts, those things that are cluttering our hearts and those things that are just making it hard for us to hear God speaking to us. In Jesus' day, there were all types of listeners in that crowd and nothing has changed. There are all types of listeners here today and anywhere else that people are reading or discussing or listening to this parable preached. Some of them were good soil and some of them not quite so good soil. How we hear God's word matters very much because it determines what we will do with God's word and the impact that it will be able to have in our lives. And this theme comes up a number of times in Luke's gospel. And the more I look at these parables and the way that they're put together, the more I'm impressed by the way that Luke has structured his gospel. So just to give you one example, Luke chapter 6 and chapter 8 contain two very well-known parables. Both of them are about God's word and about, how we, about hearing God's word. So chapter 6, we have the wise and the foolish builders. Anyone who hears my word and puts them into practice, they're like someone who's built on a strong foundation. So hearing God's word and putting it into practice is about having a strong foundation. And then we see at the other end, Luke chapter 8, 
those who hear the word and hold fast to it, they will produce a crop a hundredfold. But if we have a look at what lies in between these two parables, I think Luke has placed examples of every single type of soil. So if we have a look, you'll see firstly the Pharisees. They're right sort of in the middle between the two passages. Hard soil, closed hearts. They didn't want to receive the truth from Jesus because they were so convinced that they already had the truth, all the truth they needed in the law. But no doubt, they thought they were the best kind of soil that there was. After all, they were the gatekeepers of God's law. But this little section of Luke's Gospel, I think, demonstrates otherwise. Who else do we find between those two parables? We find people mourning at a funeral in a place called Nain. And there Jesus did a miracle. He raised the dead boy back to life and we're told they were all filled with awe and they praised God and they declared a great prophet has appeared among us. Those mourners at Nain, they received God's word with great joy. Well, what happened to them afterwards? Well, we don't know. We're not specifically told what happened to them, but people don't change all that much over the years. So I think it's fairly safe to assume that many of them had this great emotional response to God's word, perhaps an initial flush of growth, and then it began to strike some rocks in their lives and it wasn't fully able to penetrate. So I think the mourners at Nain could be like that rocky soil. Then a little bit later on after them, we hear people who are responding to Jesus' teaching and we're told that they acknowledge that God's way was right. Now many, many people responded to Jesus' teaching in the gospel. But the Gospel of John tells us that many of them later found that teaching difficult and they abandoned it. They didn't like what they were hearing. It's easy to follow when it doesn't cost you anything. But that wasn't the message of Jesus. So these people, I think, represent the weedy and the thorn-ridden soil because they were happy to receive God's word as long as it didn't interfere with the rest of their lives. And then there are some examples of those who were clearly good soil and they've all got one thing in common. So I want you to try and work out what that one thing in common is amongst these three groups of people. Firstly, we have the Roman centurion. You remember he had a, a servant who was sick so he called upon the elders of the Jews to go and speak to Jesus and see if he uh, would come uh, to, to heal the servant who was sick but before he got there the man went to Jesus and he said oh I'm not even worthy to have you come into my house if you just say the word and I know my servant will be healed and Jesus said of this man I have not found such great faith even in Israel. 
The second one is a woman who's described in that part of the Bible as a sinful woman. She was the one who made her way into the Pharisee's house when Jesus was having dinner there with, with Simon and others. And she spent the entire time spreading perfume over his feet and washing it with her hair and kissing his feet. And Jesus said to her, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And then there's this very strange little passage that comes just before the parable. Remember I told you we were going to come back to the first three verses. Now we often look at these first three verses and go, why are they there right before this parable? It tells us there about those who were travelling with Jesus and I think it's a very... It's very deliberate why this is put there. There's a description of the women who were travelling with that group and we're told that all of them had been cured of evil spirits and diseases, including Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out, Joanna, Susanna and many others. All of them had been cured of demons and diseases. So what do you think those three groups all have in common? The centurion, the sinful woman, and the women who were travelling with Jesus. I think it is that no one would ever have considered them to be good soil. The centurion, he wasn't even a Jew. No one would have expected God's word to flourish in his heart. The sinful woman, well, that description of her really says it all, sinful woman. That was how she was defined by society. How could she be good soil? And as for those travelling with Jesus, well, evil spirits and diseases. Well, back in the day, if you were afflicted by an evil spirit or you had a disease, well, it was a sign that either you were very sinful or one of your parents were very sinful, or there was some sort of curse on your family. How could any of these people possibly be good soil? But they were, because they were humbled and broken and churned up, and so theirs was good soil in which the word of God could flourish. So don't assume you are good soil, because that was the Pharisees' mistake. But also don't assume that other people are not good soil. Because as Jesus looked over that crowd, speaking the words of this very familiar parable, he knew that there were many types of listeners present, just as there are many types here today. And he knew that only some of them were good soil and the rest of them had work to do. Weeding, stone removal, tillage. If you have that type of work to do in your life, if you're perhaps not as friable or as open to God's word penetrating right through your being than perhaps what you think you should be, then in the silence that follows, we're going we're gonna to just sit here for a couple of minutes thinking on this parable would you attempt to agree with the Holy Spirit on a course of action for your life? 
How will you do that necessary work of soil conditioning in the lead up to Christmas? Ask him to show you what work needs to be done. Ask him to help you to do that work and commit to doing it over the next six weeks or so, five weeks or whatever there is left till Christmas time. Let's just sit for a moment in silence. Father, we commit today with your Holy Spirit to do what is necessary to improve the soil of our hearts so that your word might flourish in it, that it might grow there and that it might produce 20, 40, 60, 100 fold in our lives for your kingdom. Amen.